Apollo 11, the first manned mission to the moon. Crewed by Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins, the Apollo lunar module Eagle made global history on July the 20th, 1969. But is there more to their story than has been made public? Reports of a UFO sighting during the journey to the moon and the alleged secret radio transmissions between the crew and NASA are discussed in tonight's exciting episode. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Welcome everybody to our fourth episode with your usual hosts. I'm Stu Jackson. And I'm Neil Kelly. And this week, we are talking about the alleged Apollo 11 alien yes. Now, you've, do, you've been doing your research since we last spoke about this, Neil. Um, I've, I've done a bit of research. Um, it, it seems a bit flimsy, and um, I kept getting directed back to stories in the Daily Express. Now, for our, our non-UK listeners, um, the Daily Express is a tabloid newspaper. Like most of our mainstream media, it's owned by um, billionaire tax exiles. Um, It's aimed at an elderly demographic and and tends to take a, you might say robust, you might say rabidly right-wing view on most social issues. So imagine your sour-faced elderly Brexiter. That's the the newspaper for them. Um, It's also renowned for very low standards of journalism and and I can back that up with Ipso reports so anyone listening from the Daily Express who wants to take issue with that (laughs) last remark uh, I stand by it and I can defend it (laughs) well nobody actually doing this podcast with you is going to dispute that Um, yeah yeah, for for Americans it's the Fox News isn't it (laughs) or the uh, the National Enquirer but but nastier it's not you know, the National Enquirer. <laughs> yeah, their stories are for fun as much as anything. They're not intended to be taken seriously. Um, the Daily Express. It's the same kind of stories, but they expect their audiences or their, their readership not to just take it seriously, but to get angry about it. I think that's the main thing. The day, reading the Daily Express <laughs> will do for you, much like the Daily Mail. It'll. It's designed to make you angry and hateful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hate foreigners. Okay, so um, so you said about it being flimsy. So what do you know? What, let, let's look at this from a um, a chronological 
perspective. Mm. So the Apollo 11 space mission, it's the, it was man first setting foot on the moon. It was, uh, it was big and it was important. Well, I was, I now, was alive at the time. I was at junior school. Um, it was my, just coming up to the third, well, year, I suppose that'll be year five in today's currency. So I was nine years old, just about to turn ten. Um, and we were all thrilled to be allowed to stay up all night to watch this to watch this event and uh, none of the teachers disapproved of course they actually encouraged us to stay up all night um, and I, I remember also that you know, my idea of space travel was formed by watching programs like Doctor Who um, Star Trek Fireball XL5 so um, I was a bit disappointed it all seemed a bit sort of mundane there were no aliens there were no ray guns or robots so um, <laughs> You know, it was a bit of a... Perhaps I was a bit too young to appreciate the significance of the event at the time. Well, um, I mean, you say that, you know, perhaps there was, but you didn't know at the time. Perhaps, yeah. And that's what we're going to be debating. That's what we're going to be debating. <laughs> so, um, this is obviously like a pretty big conspiracy theory around Apollo 11. Not to be confused with the other conspiracy theory... Which was that it didn't happen. Which is the big one. Which is the one that... Um, that is the go-to conspiracy yeah. theory. It, it certainly is. Um, and there's some... I mean, we're not going to go into that today, but, but there's some hmm. compelling um, evidence around that. But um, looking at this alleged alien encounter, so the first part of this uh, happens not... Not that long after they've left the Earth's confines, mm. uh, they're en route to the moon. They're about 1,200 miles up, and Buzz Aldrin looks out the window <coughs> and sees something. He draws back the curtain he, on the little... On draws the back the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> there he was, sitting yeah. in a tin can. Um, yeah, he, he, he sees an object what they estimate to be about 100 miles away, and obviously these are seasoned professionals. I, I'm inclined to think that if they say it looked to be 100 miles away, all right, I, I wouldn't expect them to be accurate, but I'd expect them to not be easily fooled by optical illusions and things like that. Um, just so I'm, I'm clear, was this the first time any of them had been in space, or had they been on previous orbital missions? Do you know what? That's an excellent question. Um, and I honestly don't know. I no. don't know. But they were all, obviously, um, very experienced pilots. Mm. And I have to believe they must have done, at very least, high-altitude stuff. High-altitude stuff, but they'd seen these things in space, but they'd never actually been in space before. And the first thing they see is what looks like a, an alien spacecraft. Well, they didn't call it that at the time. Hmm. Um, what they described was an L-shaped object. Hmm. Um, and there's, I mean, th this, is, this is on record. Um, they even asked Mission Control, uh, you know, could it have been like the third stage rocket? But the third stage rocket was, was way too far away by this point. Hmm. Uh, for it to have possibly been that, and that's, um, you know, that that was confirmed by NASA, by Mission Control. So, was this, had, had they 
used all three stages by this time. Oh, or, yes. Yes, they had. So yes. the first stage was probably in the ocean by this time. So when you mean the third stage, the, the final stage, that the, the one yes. nearest to them. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's it. Um, I mean, that was the... Kind of the question is, could we be seeing this, hmm. Houston? And I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, it, it was, could that be what it is? And the answer came back, no, it can't. Hmm. And this L-shaped object uh, tracked with them for quite some distance, hmm. but eventually um, fell out of view. But it did track with them. Now that in of itself is quite an interesting story, I think. Yeah, because I read a different story that they they saw what looked like um, three long, slim shapes flying across the moon in a sort of arrowhead formation. That these were like three needles, um, which they estimated to be about three to four kilometres long each. Okay, I'd not read that particular one. Hmm. Um, okay, that's an interesting... Was that the Daily Express? <laughs> yeah, that was the Daily Express, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, not that I'm going to instantly dismiss that, but um, hmm. that's not a, a story I'm familiar with. They have um, told the truth before. Oh, yes, it, it does happen uh, on occasion. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, now... now the thing is, coming back to this L-shaped object, you remember when we talked about the Phoenix Lights? Yes. A few episodes ago. And people described a craft that they saw that looked like it was either a big arrowhead hmm. or a, a right angle. Or, or a V. They described it as a V-shaped because of the direction A V-shape. Absolutely. Now, what happens when you tilt a V on its side? Hmm. It looks like an L. So I just found that an interesting, um, a kind of an interesting comparison mm. in that particular one. But we're not experienced in being in space by this point. Mm. Optical illusions can happen. That's understandable. I, I would think um, also they would have great difficulty judging the distance of something with the naked eye never having well, been in space it. before I, I could understand how things could be distorted but the, like I say these are all very experienced pilots they're, they're not you know they've got to be um, t- to be doing this job in the very first place they've hmm. got to be uh, pardon the pun here uh, grounded people they, they've got to be grounded, but they're, they're used to... Experienced pilots, but they're used to seeing um, terrestrial... Well, terrestrial, I suppose, aircraft. Mm. Uh, and they can judge their distance by how big they look. Because they know roughly how big an aircraft should be, how big a, 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 an enemy fighter is, how big an enemy bomber, how big a, um, an airliner is. Then There's not that much variance in size. They, they would never have seen a craft that was a mile across before so how could they what would they have to measure it against if they're seeing something a long way away yeah that's absolutely fair comment and Mm. if that was where the whole mystery ended and where the story ended 
That would be, I'd be, that'd be a very I'd short be podcast. <laughs> it would be a very short podcast. Um, mm. However, <laughs> that's not where it does end up uh, because, obviously, as we know, history, so spoiler alert for anyone who's not watched the latest episode of Moon Landings yet, um, they did get to the moon hmm. and they landed safely um, after some few hairy moments. And uh, they started their moonwalk. Um, shortly after Neil Armstrong made his um, famous, you know, small step for a man, hmm. giant leap for mankind, they switched over to a private channel, what, what they called the medical channel, hmm. for about two minutes. And there is a two-minute gap in the public record of what was said. Now, mm. this is where the most contention comes about the moon landing, um, because this has allegedly been... Th- this particular transmission that was on a private channel was allegedly intercepted and heard by ham radios all over the planet, Hundreds of them mm-hmm. have come forward with this same testimony, um, saying that the astronauts had seen a several UFOs parked along the edge of the crater. Well, and that, that's e- really even be- interesting. Even before they landed, there's a there's a a kind of gap in the um, in the I suppose in, in the public record that. Um, the official story is that as as um, Neil Armstrong was piloting, piloting the lunar landing, the lunar lander onto the surface, um, he realised that where he was coming down was not a very good place to land. It was a precarious spot. So he flew horizontally for a couple of kilometres and was, they say, too busy to talk while he was doing it. He was flying this very, very weird, very unstable craft. And that um, Buzz Aldrin's view of what was happening was out the rear window, I guess, that's where the camera was. Um, it wasn't seeing what Neil Armstrong saw. Now, that's where there's also speculation that he saw, oh, we're about to land down on top of some parked alien spacecraft. Uh, we better we better shuffle along a little bit. Um, but re- really, it, it seems more plausible that he just realised, no, we're coming down on a, a craggy peak or something, or the, or the, or the edge of a crater... We, we, we'd better move it. It was the Sea of Tranquility where they landed, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. Um, well, that, now that's interesting. So, um, like I said, there are lots of these ham radio operators who've come mm. forward and said, well, actually, I've got a transcript of what they actually said mm. right here. Um, and, yeah, totally separate people. The transcript match. So right. they've come from various sources. Um and like I say, hundreds of these people coming forward, most of them didn't transcribe what they were hearing. Mm. They were just listening in because it was a, a cool event, and hey, they're yeah. going to listen to the actual astronauts on their very own radio, and how exciting. Um, but yeah, some of them were transcribing it as it was happening, um, and those different transcriptions match. So, um, and we were talking ham radio here. Um, yeah. Amateur radios, they built their own radio sets. Would they have the capability to pick that? I assume that the the reason the Apollo astronauts could communicate by radio back to Earth 
was because the, their Earth station had massive aerials and tremendous um, tremendous power behind it to be able to receive a very weak signal and and listen would would an individual person based in another country have had anything like that capability to to listen well, they, to that? It wasn't like you could pick I'm, it up. And I'm, I'm no electronics or radio expert at all, and perhaps mm. if some of our listeners um, know the answer to that, they yeah. can tweet us and let yeah. us know. Um, but I, I've got to imagine that if you're in the right place in on the planet mm. to receive these signals, they are being directed and, and sent um, directly at the Earth. And so if you're in the right place, if the atmospheric conditions are right, yeah, I don't see why not, why, why they wouldn't get picked up. Um, I, I, I mean... These amateur radio enthusiasts—they're not. It's not someone in in a in a back basement with a CB unit. I mean, no, they. It's more than a CB. Really yes. serious. I understand that, and, and I understand and, they they talk to people all over the world. But it, it's just that I've seen the equipment that NASA had to to communicate with the astronauts, and I can't believe that an individual would have the wherewithal to have something like that. But it wasn't just the radio signal that was being transmitted. Uh, there was information being transmitted on a whole wide range of frequencies. Mm. Um, you, you're talking about telemetry from the, the craft. You're talking about um, the, the, the environmental suits were sending readings back to mm. Houston the whole time. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why they would need such big big equipment is because it's not just one single band of radio that they're receiving. It's a whole... It might be mm. hundreds. Which we we mm. got to make a difference. Yeah, but plus they're sending a video link back. Exactly, uh, yeah. Live, if, if you know, we, we accept that the moon landings happened, they had that capability, even though that capability wasn't really in use on Earth at that time. Well, no. So you're talking about one audio transmission amongst all of that mm. as, a, as a comparison in terms yeah. of equipment and as you rightly said these ham radio you know their, their hobby was to to speak to people on the other side of the planet mm. now in comparison if they're if they're in a place that, that is kind of <laughs> if you can see the moon in the sky mm. where you are on the planet that distance is a lot less than going right the way around the world Given that, that, yeah, there wouldn't have been communication satellites in those days. Mm. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I'm inclined to think that these people could have had the equipment to have done it. Hmm. Okay, I can see that. But what I'm wondering is what you were saying about uh, the gap in communications as they were coming into land. Hmm. I've not heard of any transcriptions... Of, of any messages that were sent during that time? No, that was the, the silent period, which presumably is when they were they were concentrating on landing the craft safely. And I can, yeah, I can imagine that's what they would have been doing at that time. Oh, maybe it was. Hey, we got land there. There's a there's spacecrafts. <laughs> yes. Um, there's also, I mean, the the whole thing. The idea was they landed. They slept, and then they did the moonwalk 
just after. That was the original plan. Well, they, but of they course said, they landed and wanted to do it straight away. But was there, there a time lag of something like six hours between landing and actually leaving the module? Uh, there was a time lag, but it wasn't as much as what was planned. Right. Now, they went out much earlier than than the original plan. And that historically has been put down to their enthusiasm. Mm. Now, these are incredibly professional people. They've studied this for a very long period of time and they've trained hard for this. And they know that the slightest thing going wrong can mean just absolute death. Yes. That actually so why getting would back they deviate from the plan. Yeah, getting back home in one piece depends on them following instructions to the absolute letter. And I mean Neil Armstrong was a very, very right brain kind of guy. He was he would have been he would have followed instructions to the letter. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have I don't believe he would have let his enthusiasm get the better of him and do something rash. You know, the first people on the moon, um you gotta kind of follow the 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 procedure. You do what you're trained to do. You can't, you can't deviate from that. So, no, and and certainly um, when they landed back on Earth, their enthusiasm was certainly very muted. That was something mm. else that was picked up. That why are they so closed mouthed about the whole experience? You would think, oh my god, oh shit, we walked on the moon. We actually walked on the moon. We want to tell everyone about it. We want to tell the world. We're the first people, the only people ever to have done this in human history. Um. But mind you, they were confined to a small capsule for three weeks on USS Hornet for um, quarantine reasons. So I can imagine that that uh, kind of took the edge off it a bit. Well, we'll, we'll come on to. I mean, mm. you, you've raised two very, mm. very good points right there, and and we'll definitely be coming on to those. Um, so the transcript of this is this missing time that I think is an absolute key, and what happened in those two minutes. Mm. Now, the transcript that's been put out was Armstrong, uh, sorry, was um, Armstrong saying, what is it, what the hell was it, that's all I want to know. Mm-hmm. Mission control responding, what's their malfunction, then the next bit's garbled. Mission control calling Apollo 11. And Apollo 11 responding, these babies were huge, sir, enormous. Oh, God, you wouldn't believe it. I'm telling you there are other spacecraft out there lined up on the far side of the crater edge. They're on the moon watching us. I mean, that's that's a bit of a smoking gun, really, isn't it? It, it, it kind of is, if that, if that is the transcript, if that's what was picked up. Has that exactly. been officially released, or is that what these, these ham radio users... Uh, agree on so when it comes to revealing what was said in these two minutes um so first of all nasa denied that there was a missing two minutes mm. and then um then when they couldn't deny it any further they blamed it on faulty equipment mm. that, that there was a piece of equipment that went faulty then when that was discounted they said ah yeah they, they turned to their medical channel to talk to us Mm. and that was that Um, Armstrong himself 
uh, well, he, he refuses to talk about this um, completely and the, the only time that he's ever made an official comment about those two minutes he says and I'm going to quote directly I have no comment on that and I'm uncomfortable discussing the topic Hmm. That's a weird thing. I know he has been particularly close-minded, uh, close-mouthed, sorry. Not mm. close-minded, I'm not suggesting Neil Armstrong is close-minded. Uh, no, he's been particularly tight-lipped about about the experience. You know, he's done, I think he's done one um, appearance about it to uh, some accountants <laughs> once mm. that he spoke about his experiences on the moon. Um, but to say that, He's not denying anything. He's not denying that they turned to the medical channel. But he's uncomfortable talking about it. So either it was some very deeply personal medical issue. Mm. <laughs> or, you know, and he's a bit shy. But again, with professionals of this standing, you know, I don't know. Um, that's a bit of a strange one. It, but it, probably only... also, it probably also would have been strange for... I mean, these were all military people, weren't they? They were all Air Force mm. flyers. Um, they wouldn't have been used to broadcasting on a channel which they know the whole world is listening to. I mean, yeah. I, I know that anyone with the right equipment can listen into aircraft and aircraft yeah, um, traffic control. But, um, yeah, they, they, they would have been... You know, they're flying missions over Vietnam... Yeah, they're, they're not really expecting that... Well, the Vietnamese will be listening into them, but there's not going to be a PR issue of whatever But in say. response to, um, you know, well, why did you turn to your medical channel? Well, I had some medical things to discuss with NASA. Hmm. What were they? They're of a personal nature, and that's it. That's To say, um, I've got no comment, and I'm uncomfortable with the topic, is... Hmm... That, I, I find that really, really bizarre. But there are two other elements um, to this missing two minutes. So within 30 minutes uh, of them landing on the moon, uh, it's widely known there was a rumour spreading around NASA that the crew, of, crew had had a UFO encounter and didn't know what to do about it. Mm. Um, that was coming out. Now, if... That could be, however, talking about this L-shaped object en route. Could have been, but I wouldn't have thought, given that that had happened a, a couple of days previously, or when did they lose... It had been tracking them as they made their way towards the moon. Um, it had probably yeah, been, it would have been a long time before, yeah. It, it, might, it probably wouldn't have been the first thing on their mind when they're going through the very delicate business of probably the most dangerous part of the mission actually getting onto the lunar surface and then back up again and reconnecting with the orbiter to fly back to earth well no but it can take time for information even um even basically for the rumor mill to work mm. um and it might just be the rumors spread and grown from because a UFO is an unidentified object hmm. in its most basic form. Um, 
so yeah, so it, I, this rumour going around NASA, around Mission Control, well, around that whole of NASA, really, that they'd had a UFO encounter. I'm not suggesting that that is necessarily these ships parked on the edge of the crater. Mm. Um, could have been the L-shaped object, but, the, but you're not wrong in what you say. You know, the fact that it started about 30 minutes after they landed, that suggests something different. That suggests, yeah. Yeah. That would have been fairly big news. Um, but there is a formal... Um, there was a formal uh, confirmation uh, in 1979. Maurice Chatelain, who was the... Uh, he was former chief of NASA communication systems. Uh, he confirmed that Armstrong had, in fact, reported two UFOs on the rim of the crater... And uh, to quote him, the encounter was common knowledge in NASA, but nobody talked about it until now. Mm. That was in 1979. Um, Now, again, that's a hell of a thing for the former chief of NASA communication systems to up and say. Um, It it is, yes. Um... But I just want it's, it's such a bizarre encounter that they see these other spacecraft parked some distance away, but then that's it. There's no further encounter. They don't. There's no attempt to contact them or, or by by either party. That they just keep their distance and plant their flag and 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 go. I think if I was a if I was a an extraterrestrial being who kind of regarded the moon as my forward base. And I parked my vehicles there, and um, some alien creatures arrived in what to me was a very very primitive craft. And they they bounced around a bit on the moon's surface, and then planted a flag, and, and buggered off. I think well, sod that. I'd, I'd probably keep their flag. I'd probably go and help myself to it, <laughs> examine it. I wouldn't just leave it there. But what would? What would you do in that situation? Um, it'd be terrifying. It it would, yeah. It would be a very strange situation, a very very strange standoff. And it would have to cause some form of PTSD. Um, you think that they've just learned they've seen something they can't account for, something that doesn't look right, but then there's no further. You know, it's a little bit odd, a little bit nerve-wracking, but... And it well, didn't... you're in a situation that no matter all the training in the world cannot fully prepare you for, it, it is going to be an incredibly stressful situation. I mean, they would have heard other accounts of pilots encountering UFOs, some of them not living to tell the tale afterwards. Um, that would have been a... Thing. Um, that would have, they would have known about that, but yeah. So suddenly they're, they're seeing their own their own version of this that these, these things are actually parked on the moon. Well, yeah, what, you, you go this? to be the first first man on the moon, and you know there's two spaceships parked there. Mm. I, I mean, that would that would freak anyone out. Well, for one thing, they're not going to be able to say we're the first people ever to step on the moon. Actually, someone beat us to no. it. It's a bit like Christopher Columbus the, claiming to claiming to have dis- discovered America. Well, actually, there were lots of people there when he got there. 
Well, there's that, but you would want to... You'd want to go and have a look. You'd want to take footage. I mean, Mission Control would instruct them to take footage. You would think, of yeah. It. Um, but you're also conscious that the world is watching you. So, yeah, how much time do you think you can get away with going silent without everyone thinking that you're dead, <laughs> you um, know, to the world? Um, yeah, I think two minutes would sound about go along, get some video footage of it, and then never speak about it again. And, yeah, absolutely, that would cause PTSD. I'm, I'm confident of it. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier about them coming back, being sullen, depressed, mm. and that's a that's a... Not the reaction you would expect. Is um, it? It, it's the reaction I would expect from someone who's fished out the sea and put in a quarantine tank for three weeks. Um, I imagine that that's that that's a bit of a downer on your on your mood. This was, they, weren't, yeah. they weren't just sullen and depressed for a week or two afterwards. It was it was quite extensive. Mm. Um, I mean Neil Armstrong you know did he ever really recover like I said the fact he was so tight lipped and would never he'd never do interviews or anything like that but but what was he like before well yeah and I, I don't have that answer that's mm. a a fair enough comment but fast forwarding to events afterwards a little bit further now there's two other things that I find unusual so one is that this was the space race was between America and Russia yeah um, and it was about who got there first and that was really important and Russia was apparently pouring all these all this money all these resources into doing it were they? allegedly yeah um, that's one of the things um, why Kennedy wanted to go was to because he'd heard that they were getting close to doing it. Well, I, I thought the impetus was driven not so much by what the Russians might be doing, but what they'd already achieved. I mean, when the Russians put a satellite into orbit in 1957, um, mm. at that time America couldn't get a rocket into orbit. Their, their rockets were just blowing up on the launch pad or exploding shortly after takeoff, providing great firework displays, but they couldn't get something into orbit. There's, um, there's a very interesting documentary on Netflix, which I can plug for our, for our listeners, called Houston, We Have a Problem. And it's this bizarre story. Um, Yugoslavia actually had a, a tentative space program, and they mm-hmm. had managed to launch, with a, with a multi-stage rocket, they'd managed to launch a piglet into the stratosphere, and the piglet had survived. The capsule had come down in the Adriatic, just outside of Italian coastal waters. The Yugoslav Navy had to go and recover it, and it was a bit of a, a standoff. Um, they were trying to keep this whole thing secret. Um, but um, the Americans were so desperate, they went, um, they looked at this programme. Um, the Yugoslavs, of course, were under orders to big it up as much as they could. And they sold it to the Americans, for two and a half billion dollars in the end. They haggled them down from three billion dollars. And 
this was a massive, um, um, it was a really big deal for Yugoslavia. They went from having this space program that was costing them an awful lot of money that they couldn't really afford for much longer. Suddenly, they've managed to sell it off. They, they don't have to bother with it anymore. And they've got enough money, 2.5 billion US dollars in Yugoslavia circa 1960 was enough to raise the standard of living for everyone in the country. Marshal Tito really got a lot of mm. political cred over it. Now, in between the Americans buying it, and realising that it didn't work, um, the Russians put a, an astronaut, a cosmonaut, into orbit, Yuri Gagarin, um, mm. which was a second blow. This is the second bit of evidence that, yes, um, the Soviet Union is a more fertile ground for science and technology and dis human discovery than the capitalist United States. It was a huge propaganda blow. Um, under recently declassified Soviet records, um, we've learned now that Yuri Gagarin wasn't actually the first cosmonaut in orbit he was about the fifth but he was the first one to get back to earth in a presentable condition um yeah the russians the russians were able to get into space quicker because they had less concern for their astronaut safety um i don't know if i've said this in a previous podcast the russians were happy to launch an astronaut a cosmonaut in a liquid fueled rocket the americans realized how dangerous that was and were developing solid fuels um mm. and that being more dangerous it's no surprise that they didn't get it right first time um, also, they hadn't worked out how to slow a capsule down enough that they could deploy parachutes and land it either in Kazakhstan mm. or in an ocean somewhere. Um, so the cosmonaut had to actually climb out the capsule, which is going at a tremendous speed, and jump and deploy a personal parachute. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they did. <laughs> Yuri Gagarin was the wow. first person to actually come back alive and in one piece and presentable. So the, the Russian, the cosmonauts had done that. The Russians, the Soviets, they'd been first to put a satellite up. They'd been first to put a, a, a cosmonaut in orbit. So there was an impetus on the Americans to have a first, to be the first to do something else. So they, they decided, well, well, we'll be the first to go to the moon. Now, I haven't read much about the Soviets putting much effort into... Obviously, they wanted to keep up with the Americans on, on most endeavours. But this was a, a hugely costly thing. And Well, and that's... That's fair enough, but mm. here's the question. Mm. Since 1969, why have Russia never bothered? Because they thought, what's the point? I mean, America, after Apollo 11, I think there were six more Apollo launches to the moon. We know Apollo 15 didn't actually get to land, uh, piloted by Tom Hanks. But um, they, they went several more times and then gave it up. Well, I... For, I can imagine the Soviets not doing this. They're saying, well, what's the point? All, all the Americans are doing up there is they're, is they're sort of playing golf, collecting moon rocks, riding around in their, their lunar buggies, and, and that's it. What's the, you know, we, we don't really see the point of that. I mean, the next logical stage, and what we were all excited about in 1969, was this is the, this is the first phase of our journey into space. That now we're on the moon, we will, we will ferry... We will build a moon base up there. We will ferry the, all the materials up there, build a moon base, and then we will build a large interplanetary craft that will be able to take off more easily from the lunar surface than from Earth's surface. It hasn't got to get through the atmosphere. It'll require mm. a lot less power. You can get a much larger craft into space for a journey to Mars and beyond. That was, mm. that was the thing. But of course, that next step is a huge step. They never came anywhere near that. They never, building a moon base was just really way more than even the United States could afford. And the political climate changed a lot. Well, 
that's fair enough but once you start down a route once once you've proven the technology now you say what why would the russians bother to prove that they can do it better very simply um would be a good reason for doing it um to start laying claim to certain areas of the moon you know in the same way that we claim territory here on earth mm. and you you were absolutely right you you, you just you just touched on the other thing I was going to say, um, was, yeah, there were these other... We haven't been back to the moon since 1972. And for good now, reason. Well, scientists will tell you, there is so much about the moon that we still absolutely do not know. Mm. One has to believe that in 50 years, the technology has improved rather dramatically. Um, I mean, bear in mind, they, they went to the moon with a computer that was less powerful than my watch. Hmm. You know, um, so I don't know why. Why did they just suddenly stop? There I can was think going to be another one. Apollo twenty was going to happen. I, I can um, think of lots of reasons, and it's to do with the political climate rather than what was on the moon. Nineteen sixty nine, twentieth of July. Um, America needed this big distraction. They had lots of domestic issues at home. They had the anti-war movement. The, the, the war in Vietnam wasn't going very, very well. Um, they'd realised you know, after the Tet Offensive in 1968, we can't militarily win this thing. Um, and, of course, that offensive just happened to coincide with Walter Cronkite's visit, the voice of America. And he saw the Tet Offensive and said, we're not going to win this war. And that was it. And so 1969, they're badly losing a war. There's lots of civil unrest at home over the war, over civil rights, over all sorts of issues. And the moon landing is a great distraction from all that. And they do it a few more times to, to show that it wasn't a, a fluke, a one-off. Maybe they, they saw some things there, well, let's go back and have another look, or more astronauts have been trained for it, they want to go to the moon. But then, you know, in the early 70s, first of all, America gets if not defeated in Vietnam. I mean, I, I challenge anyone to say America won the Vietnam War. Um, 1973, Nixon agreed a ceasefire and brought American troops home. That was seen by many Americans as a defeat, the first defeat in Vietnam. The following year, Richard Nixon, um, rather than face impeachment over the Watergate scandal, he, mm. he stands down and Ford takes over. Um, shortly after that... Um, well, what was happening also at the same time, late 1973, the Yom Kippur War, and Israel yeah. for the first time finds itself on the losing side. They suffer massive losses of aircraft, tanks, people, um, and the United States steps in to prevent Israel being totally wiped out. And this infuriates the Arabs, and particularly Saudi Arabia, the OPEC countries. They decide to punish the West so they increase oil prices. The price of oil doubles and then doubles again. So by 1974, we start, we're all starting to go into recession. And there are fuel shortages and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Then 1975, of course, communist forces finally overrun South Vietnam. And that, that's that. So politically, they're, they're, America's in a real mess. They've totally lost their confidence. And it would seem crass to spend millions, billions of dollars putting someone on the moon when people are starting to starve on their streets. Okay, I, I get that, and, and I can understand why that would have been a hiccup. In, <laughs> yeah, a bit of a hiccup. In, yeah. in, in the lunar programme, you know, yeah. a, 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 a pause in it. Mm. But it wasn't, it just 
So since then, there have been many, many occasions when politicians would have loved a big distraction. Um, yeah. And some would say they created their own to, <laughs> to do mm. so. Um, and on top of that, in the 80s, you had, under Reagan, you had the Star Wars program. Mm. You know, um, now under Trump, you know, he's talking about Space Force. So it's not, it isn't that space has suddenly become irrelevant or less of a priority or anything like that because you are spending ridiculous sums of money on these things to this very day. Well, some some have argued that um, America won the Cold War by just outspending the USSR. That the 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 the, the Star Wars, well. the Strategic <laughs> Defense Initiative, was way no, beyond enough, what the what the um, what the Soviets could compete with, and it showed. Um, so, but these these have, and and like Trump's Space Force, these have clear military objectives, and as we know, you know, the United States and and Britain as well have unlimited funds when it comes to military spending. <laughs> well, yeah, but um, but no one suggested any advantage on putting military a military. Um, a military asset on the moon but why not that would be an ideal place for these programs unless I, I would suggest we've been warned off well I would suggest that there's that we've been warned off or that we actually don't have the technology to put something on the moon that would be any use in a war mm. no I'm for me yeah I think there's 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 more to it but let's um we're at that time in the show when we summarise our thoughts. Uh, so for me, something happened. Something happened. It, it's it's record that they were tracked by this L-shaped object en route. You've got the missing two minutes, the transcripts from from hundreds of people. Um, and the of course the, the statement from Maurice Chatelain. And the subsequent behaviour, to me, that all adds up to, well, conspiracy, yes, but mm. something is being hidden, and it's something to do with UFOs. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that something happened up there. Neil, um, I'm so I'm easily, easily convinced that that something is being hidden, but I'm I'm not sure it's to do with UFOs. More mundane things. Yes, more <laughs> mundane things. The fact that you know, if they were they were traumatised by encountering these things on the moon, well, didn't stop them going back a, another time. Mm. Okay, what do you think, listeners? Drop us a tweet, drop us a Facebook message, drop us a post, drop us an email, um, whatever you like, but do get in touch and don't forget to let us know if there's any particular subjects that you would like to hear about as well. Uh, don't forget to join us next time when we will be discussing Whitley Stryber, author of Thanks, I'm Stu. I'm Neil. And we'll see you next time. You next Take time. care. Bye-bye. Aliens Explored is a Fiegel Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit AliensExplored.com.